Hey, guys. Huh. Check this out. And welcome to Check This Out, a podcast where we take an analytical view of the media that appeals to us as individuals and why. I am Elle, your host, and with me today is special guest and enemy of the show, Flock. Uh, if you would, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, I or we are the Flock. We are a plural system who enjoys everything from books to Final Fantasy XIV to Blazeball, which I'm sure comes as a shock. Um, we use it or its pronouns. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's me. Oh, I should also apologize off the bat if you hear my cat screaming in the background at any point. Eh, that's fine. We can we can add <laughs> more guests to the show notes. <laughs> exactly. She unfortunately doesn't have social media you can link though. Yeah, fair. Which is a bit of a difference from most uh, internet-related pets that I've seen that have their own Instagram feeds or what have you. God, I can barely keep up with my notifications. I'm not keeping up with enough for a cat. <laughs> get running off the internet for that. Oh. <laughs> now, you're, you're bringing something to the table that you enjoy and are passionate about. Uh, could you talk a little bit about it in your own words? Oh, just a little bit. Um, I'm here to talk about Oxenfree, which is a narrative horror, and I say that with an asterisk, I'll circle back to that, but it's an, a yeah, narrative horror game by Night School Studios. Um, can't tell you what year it came out, I wasn't paying that much attention. Um, but I, I came to Oxenfree as somebody who does not enjoy horror games at all. I am a gigantic baby. I think I got about 20 minutes into what was it? It was Resident Evil 7 for Extra Life last year and I had to turn it off and go play something else. So yeah, when I say I'm not a horror person, I I do really mean that. Um, which is why the fact that I enjoyed Oxenfree as much as I did is a little bit weird, I guess. But... Fair. I was just going to say, I, just for clarity, I checked it at 2016 for wide release, 2017 for ports. Okay, yeah, that makes sense, because it's got a sequel that's hopefully coming out next year, which is why I think I was yelling about it on Twitter and you saw it there. Because I am, I am very excited. <laughs> but, yeah, I think... And I'll, I'll dive right into some of the why I think Oxenfree is a little bit different from a lot of horror games. Um, and that's because and, and I'm, I'm a narrative nerd, like I work in a bookstore, so I think about this stuff a lot. And part of why Oxenfree, I think, hits the way it does and why I enjoy it despite my kind of lack of tolerance for, for things like jump scares is because it... It plays more to one half of the horror formula than a lot of stuff does. Because I, I look at horror as it appeals, it works for two reasons. And one is 
the idea that there is not a lot of threat to human beings from outside sources anymore. Like, we are very much the top of the food chain, so there's that sense of it takes us and moves us down a couple rungs on the ladder. And that's where you get your jump scares and and your slasher movies. And that's all well and good. It's just not my thing. Like, at this point, we've killed and eaten God, so what could stop us? <laughs> exactly! Like, there's there's very little that's actually worth being afraid of unless you're the kind of person to go out into the woods and wrestle with bears anyways so like there's there's still some of that jump scare element within the game but not so much that it's off-putting but the other half of why horror works is because it appeals to empathy we worry about the characters in horror because ideally we don't want bad things to happen to them we see ourselves in them which is also part of why horror characters are also portrayed as very flawed. That feels very human to a lot of people and it helps us connect. And where Oxenfree appeals to that is... Like, I mean, its character writing to start is is absolutely fantastic. Um, mm. I find with a lot of horror games, I don't like the characters. And sometimes you're not meant to, but I think for me personally, that takes away from it. Um, Oxenfree, the characters are definitely flawed, and there are some that you don't start out liking. The kind of minor antagonist, Clarissa, is, is very much supposed to be one of those. She kind of needles at you a lot. But you kind of grow into it. Exactly, and it's... It's not for the right reasons that she does this, but they are reasons that make sense later. And I'm trying to talk about this without spoiling much, because it's a game that <laughs> I think a person should go into blind as much as, as is humanly possible. So I'm going to dance around some stuff here. But yeah, the characters feel very human. They feel very likable. Cool. So I have my prepared list of questions that's designed to delve a little bit deeper into that enjoyment of yours, if that's all right. Oh, go for it. Cool. Uh, question one. Imagine I was someone who's been recently awoken from a coma or resurrected from being frozen in ice or even an inanimate object gifted knowledge and knowledge of modern times and sentience. Essentially, I know what media is, but I have never experienced any. How would you explain Oxenfree without comparing it to something that I wouldn't know? Um. I would explain it as an exercise in storytelling. Um, I think that's a very basic way of putting it, but it is, like you said, you're familiar with media. So it is media where your actions have consequence. Um, and it is consequence that is, it takes the shape of, interpersonal relationships so it is media that is designed to unnerve you a little bit but also to give you a concrete sense of having made a difference by the time the credits roll because your actions are going to affect who's still talking to who at the end of the game what kind of relationships are built out of that 
and by going through it sort of reflects back on you a little bit. Exactly. It's it's very much designed to be introspective. Cool. I mean, see, sometimes just the basic descriptions still give you enough info to go by. I guess so. Yeah. Um, question two. Hypothetically, our positions are reversed, and I'm guesting on your immensely popular and award-winning podcast. I've just answered the previous question with your response verbatim. What stood out the most to you? I think probably the concept of, of introspection a little bit, because I think... A lot of horror and and even horror games. I'm gonna keep circling back to this because outside of games, I'm I'm a horror nerd. I just don't don't like being in control a lot of the time. <laughs> and it's that concept of introspection yeah. in horror as well, because a lot of games within that genre are kind of designed to make you feel bad about the choices you make, and I don't love that. Um, not that there's not value to that, but it's not my thing, and. So that concept of introspection would stick out because it's it's something that's handled very, very differently within this game. Because um, you can make things work out in the end, and you want to, and the way the game is structured, it encourages you to to go back and to try again. And think about how the characters can do better, how you can do better in your responses, because it does very well at... As the characters sometimes needle at each other, it's it's enough sometimes that you as a player are like, oh, I want to get back at this character. I want to say the mean thing because it would feel good. There's that vindictive pleasure in it. But it encourages you to step back and make the better choice. Yeah, it's like the two hours later. Oh, man, I thought of the perfect argument response. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's that... Thinking of it later in the shower thing. Hmm. But, but also being in that introspection that introspection aspect that uh, a lot of media nowadays is just you put it on, you turn your brain off, and then X amount of time passes and you go, oh, I enjoyed myself. Time to go about my day. Exactly. And this, it, it doesn't really let you do that. It kind of... It gets its claws in you in a in a, again a very unique way, and it makes you it makes you think about what you could have done better and how that may have have contributed to a better outcome. And then it says, "Hey, let's sit down and and try that again." Because I think I can say this without it being spoilers. There's a new game plus mode, so it's it's again very much structured so that you should go back and and try again and make different choices. And even without that sort of mechanical assistance, I imagine that there's you develop enough of a connection to the characters that you just want to do right by them. Oh, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm somebody with what I affectionately refer to as weapons-grade ADHD. So getting me to sit down and finish something is just about unheard of. I think I can count the number of games I've finished on... Well, in the last two, three years on one hand. So I have gone and I've played through Oxenfree six or seven times now over the course of the past 
three years because I think I bought it about three years ago. So it, yeah, even without that mechanic, if it if it can get me to sit down and replay it and try things differently, I I would say it could get most people to. Yeah, uh, there's just some replayability then you would suggest. Yes, exactly. And I said that in way more words that was probably strictly necessary, but yes. <laughs> no, absolutely. Please. This is, this is your, your podium. <laughs> oh, dangerous thing to offer. <laughs> um, question three. So we can tell that this is a subject that you care about, but what got you to give it a, a chance in the first place? I wish there was a more insightful answer to this, but I'm pretty sure it was a Steam summer sale. <laughs> or some equivalent. Or It might have been like a smaller indie sale. Hey, I mean, that, that's a valid response. I... <laughs> yeah, I picked it up alongside Night in the Woods. And another one I've heard good things about. Mm-hmm. And I I sat down and I played those both within the span of about two days, and I don't think I've had like a weekend of, oh god, everything just hit me like a truck like that since then. <laughs> but like I've had uh, other episodes where it's just like, oh, I was walking by a store and they had it in the shop window, so that was enough for me. Or I clicked random on on Netflix and this came up. Yeah, well, that was the thing too. Is I think it was it was relatively cheap. I was looking at the kind of narrative games, and I didn't. I actually didn't know it was horror at the time, which is probably why I ended up picking it up. Because if I if they had said, "Hey, this is kind of spooky," I never would have touched it. Fair. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's you need to be tricked to get out of your comfort zone. Exactly. <laughs> so, question four. For some people, a sense of community and like-mindedness are integral to their enjoyment of something. To your knowledge, is there a community around Oxenfree that you're aware of? And if so, what are they like? I haven't interacted with much of the like actual game community online in fairness, but there is kind of a community aspect to the game that's very interesting to me. Um, and I'm not, I'm trying to decide whether this falls within the bounds of the question, but I'm going to talk about it anyways. Um, <laughs> there's parts of the game where, yeah, parts of the game where you're encouraged to make decisions and those decisions can appear in other users' playthroughs of the game and again i can't really say how that plays in without spoiling it but there's it confused me at first because there are points where where you're seeing yourself and you're seeing a prompt and it doesn't matter what button you hit it's gonna be something else and i went like what's going on did i break my controller what's happening here but no it's somebody else's answer and that was very cool um, the other community aspect, actually, that I should mention is Oxenfree, and granted, I wasn't paying attention to it at the time, but it was hyped up by way of an ARG, and so people were were puzzle solving and getting together and trading theories, and that was cool. And now we're going into the second, and there's a mechanic within the game that's relative, well, it's, it's very integral to it, where 
you are tuning into radio frequencies. And sometimes that's like something you have to do to get a thing done. And sometimes you have the opportunity to tune into a frequency just to get kind of exposition. And that's very cool within its own right. But in, in hyping up the second game, they've now gone and they've patched in at certain locations radio frequencies from that second game. So the community is now coming together again and going, I found this or this says this about the next game. Yeah, see, that sounds fascinating to me. The even the concept of the the ARG, just because I have no head for puzzles at all, so I see a lot of this <laughs> stuff, and it's just like, oh, that's weird. Much smarter people than me could figure this out. I'm very much in the same boat on that one. I don't have the brain for actually figuring these puzzles out, but even kind of sitting on the sidelines and having someone say. If you go here and do this, you'll find something cool. I find a lot of of excitement in, in following the Twitter feeds or yada, 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 and going, okay, here's another cool thing I can go do, and I go and do that. Hmm. And, and then you have comparisons for the tie-ins with the other players uh, at the very base level, like a Beyond Two Souls or something like that, where it's like, oh, you chose this option, X amount of people did that, and here are potential other options you could have done. Yeah, you get that when the game wraps up. Yeah, and then you have like the Dark Souls approach where people leave messages around to help and or hinder, most likely hinder, or they leave bloodstains so you can watch how they died. Yeah, so there is very much that, even though there's no actual in-game, real-time overlap with other players, you do get that sense of you are not the only one experiencing this. Yeah, like even going back to the old racing games of <laughs> what, the 90s, where you had the ghost laps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it provides kind of a, a benchmark. Question five. Uh, there are many aspects of media that resonate differently with different people. What was your favorite part? See, my favorite part, again, I'm trying to kind of work around without entirely spoiling the events that lead up to it. Um, hmm. <laughs> the enemies within the game or the antagonists, um, I won't say who or what they are but they are they are scary but they are also rendered very sympathetically and there is a line you can get depending on your dialogue choices where um you you basically tell them hey you need to leave this anger that is making you hurt people behind and and they say we think anger is all we have left. And at the time, I was I was dealing with some stuff, and that hit me, and I was like, oh, okay, I need to think about this outside the context of the game. And so that's that's a line that stuck with me, and I, I value that in games, is, like, I, I like when they have stuff that actually makes, makes me think about stuff outside the game. Because it's one thing to say, hey, here's an action I took in the game how does that reflect my mentality surrounding these interactions within this very specific context? But then when you have a line that you kind of, you take and you walk away with it, I think that's, that's when a narrative game has really done its, its job well. Um, there are also, aside from that, some really, really cool visual stuff it plays with. The, the design is 
is stunning. Um, the music design too is gorgeous, and the music also interplays or interfaces with the gameplay itself. Which, as somebody who comes from a very musically inclined family, like that's something I always look for in games is like where, <laughs> how, like how into the music here can I get, and and it does that very well. Yeah, or like how uh, soundscapes play into what mood they're trying to convey. Exactly, and Oxenfree really, really does do that beautifully. The The mood carries so well through the music. It is this kind of haunting but but hopeful kind of new frontier type feel, and it's it's very, very kind of unique sounding even within the kind of indie indie circles. Um, just hearing you describing like that scene basically with, without any spoilers uh, just reminds me of um, the veteran of the psychic wars, the song by the blue oyster cult. I don't know if that's something that you're familiar with. <laughs> Unfortunately not. There's a couple lines in there that have really like hit me when I've been doing some writing. It's a, uh, uh, young enough to look at and far too old to see. All the scars are on the inside. I'm not sure if there's anything left of me. And yeah, that's very, very close to, to kind of what, or that that is what that that dialogue line is is getting across to is that concept of who who are you when you walk away from that if you've spent so long dwelling on it. But but it encourages a person to because it's that concept of well this this is only it only does bad things. And it's it's framed in such a, a hopeful way, and I think that's that's part of why I love the game so much is because it, it throughout this kind of you know it's frightening story, there's still this hope behind it. Hmm. Which uh, is unfortunately something that we are in a little bit of need of these days. Yeah, and that's I think too a large part of why I I've circled back to it again. I think shortly before you got in touch i had just picked it up again and it's it's kind of that sensation we need because there's there's a time and place for pure escapism i think which i mean we look at the animal crossing boom march of last year Mm. um and and again that's that's what we needed at the time but i think as we settle in for this is this is the long haul we need we need stories that talk about hope in the face of these difficult situations and and this is very much one of yeah. those. And not being reminded that it's like that it's like day six hundred something of March twenty twenty. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, boy. And that's the nice thing too. Is it? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> but the game too. The game story takes place within the span of a night too. So it, it there's enough of a kind of. There's a similar tone, but enough of a distance where it's not this kind of reminder of, oh, we're in this thing for the long haul. It's, here's your premise, here's what you go through, and here's this ending that is is very full of hope. And it's really nice framing for where we're at right now. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, well, l- luckily, but the format of the show dictates that I have to review it. So here we are. Exactly. Uh, question six. Following on from the previous question, what do you think will appeal most about it to the general public? 
to the general public. See, I have to think about that for a moment. Neurodivergency is fun, because I'm like, oh god, what does the general public like? <laughs> um. Yeah, what do, what do normal people think? <laughs> exactly. What, what is it like walking around without the sound of a half dozen ping pong balls bouncing around in your skull? But, um, I think there's a lot of drive for narrative games right now, and the kind of sense of control that they offer too. We don't really like to be bystanders in games a lot of the time, I've found. We like having that kind of freedom to tell our own stories. And that's, that's something I think that will appeal to a lot of people. Um, also, we tend to be very, very busy, and the game can be played within the span of, like, an evening. If you've got a Saturday afternoon or, or you know, a, a day off work where you just want to crash after dinner and do something simple and fun, then then you've got the time for it. It's not something you have to commit 60 hours to. Yeah, and not saying that there's anything wrong with the, the pre-written narratives. You are just pushing buttons to pr proceed through this. Uh, but it's a different type of storytelling. Yeah, exactly. And I enjoy a lot of the kind of I'm sitting down and essentially just playing through something predetermined because sometimes we don't want the responsibility. But I, I do really enjoy that sense of, hey, here's here's something that you determine. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, you and I can both attest to the popularity of Blaseball and the inherent narratives within that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I guess I've only been there something like, oh god, how long have I been in that fandom? Uh, a really long time. Since season two, whenever that was. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that kind of being able to get into something up to your elbows and, and shape it, that's that's very, very appealing. I, I still think about uh, your uh, thread about the, the monitor and the narrative regarding that. Well, yeah, no, that's exactly it, too, is something that feels very kind of just an offhanded one-time thing. You can, you can see a domino effect and then having the people kind of behind the scenes come back and say, hey, you enjoyed this. Here's this cool thing that's coming out of that. Like, that That feels very good. And I'm interested, too, to see how, looping back to Oxenfree a little bit, like, that's played to a little bit in the sequel, partially because one of the narrative leads is, or I think the narrative lead is a baseball fan, so... I'm very, very curious about kind of how that influence may track. Yeah, so if the antagonist of Oxenfree 2 ends up being a giant peanut, uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> exactly, we called that one. Uh, feel free to send any checks through to the uh, through to the email. Uh, I'll be sure to pass them on. Definitely. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, question seven. Say that I do end up enjoying this because of your excellent recommendation. What would be your number one follow-up? It doesn't necessarily have to be the sequel or anything like that, but where would I turn to if I felt like I wanted more of the same? Um, it's kind of a... Speaking of having control of 
your own actions and outcomes. You've kind of got a root A or a root B here. There's a couple things I recommend coming off of that. Um, the kind of most obvious one is Night School Studios has another game called After Party. And it's it's less horror themed, but very much kind of the same narrative structure where you've got this cast of characters and you get to choose how you respond and the order of actions you take and how that plays into the narrative. The kind of overarching story there is that you're two teens who um, have to beat the devil like who basically they have to party better than the devil in order to escape hell and it's it's fun but also it, it does encourage introspection in different ways than oxen free does um the other option and and i mentioned it earlier but i think night in the woods is another really really good one to play if you want that sort of slightly darker but ultimately hopeful storytelling experience because that that was another really beautiful game yeah i mean maybe that's just my over immersion acting on me but for the first one the after party you said yeah uh, it feels like it could be just a very simple game because canonically the devil lost a fiddle contest to some yokel in which he was the sole judge <laughs> Yeah, there is that kind of sense of it, it's 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 very much just a game in in his eyes too, and I'd have to go look up that story then too because I'm not familiar with that piece of folklore. Uh, the devil went down to Georgia. Oh, devil went. See, I should be familiar with that, but uh, it's a good song. My pop culture perspective is perhaps lacking <laughs> but any anytime you see any references to f devils in fiddle contests oh god it's again i feel like i should know these uh okay uh, question eight sometimes our engagement with a piece of media comes from a position of relativity did you have a specific character that you related to and if so what drew you to them i mean it, it's it's going to be the obvious answer, but the the point of view character is Alex, and they're all they're all just on the tail end of high school. That's where the characters are coming from. They're going to this big we're graduating party on the island that turns out to be not so big because only what six of them show up. Um, but they do a very very good job of making her everybody's character in a way that's not bland um she's got a sense of humor that's very well conveyed depending on the choices you make she can be quite snarky in a way that admittedly appealed to me probably more than it should have um but just the way she responds to some of the challenges put in front of her too, even outside the context of this one night where everything goes wrong, there's these overarching social and and family dynamic problems, and you can see how she responds to those in a way that's kind of outside your control. Um, so she's coming in with this sort of pre-established 
baggage and again the the flaws and the struggles that come with that make her very very human and easy to relate to yeah it's i guess one of the hallmarks of a well-written character is that they they don't just abandon who they are for the sake of the plot they still have everything that forged them basically yeah exactly she doesn't lose any part of who like you can't overwrite this this initial character you can Hmm. you can affect who she becomes but not who she is and i think that that's a really important distinction yeah and realistically let's be honest we were all like shit kicker brats in high school and younger (laughs) i don't know i was i was perfect nobody ever had problems with me and if the sarcasm i'm trying to convey isn't carrying please rest assured that it's there I was a little shit. See, I was so much of a good kid, they invented things for me to be in trouble at. (laughs) Oh, God. See, I was was the very much the stereotypical gifted child up until, like, seventh grade. And then I went, oh, God. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually didn't finish high school, which I, I don't recommend, but did very much kind of affect the little goblin i grew up to be so it it's interesting seeing this perspective of these high school kids too who you know that that's always something interesting for me in in narratives surrounding high school kids because so many games that's where they kind of sit um it's like oh you're experiencing graduation which i didn't and seeing the varied responses to that is is just interesting from an analytical perspective because i'm like oh would that have been me See, it was, uh, as well for me, like, I did, like, humble brag, I did pass high school, barely, <laughs> um, but I, I didn't have any of the, the big graduation experiences because I, I don't drink, I didn't have any friends, I didn't do anything. So seeing everything happening is just like, is this because I'm not, like, related to the scene or is this li- literally what happens? It's like a lot of the media we get here is American. And it's just like, is this because it's an American product and Americans are like this? Or is this because it just happens to everyone except me? Who knows? Yeah, we get that a little bit here too. Even being Canadian and that much closer, like it's stuff like prom. American media goes really hard on prom. And I'm like, we don't have that. I have no frame of reference for this. But even again, the graduation media, I go... There, there was a sense of, actually, that's something with Oxenfree, too, is there was a sense of kind of melancholy the first time I played it, because I was like, you know, they are doing something. They are celebrating something. Is this something that I was missing? Um, and it's, and that that was, it's something, too, that I'm, I'm not going to talk about Night in the Woods too much. That's not why I'm here, but Night in the Woods carries some sort of similar themes around kind of the education system and its impact on on young adults and how not necessarily doing well they're in can it can impact a person and so yeah i've lost the train i'm gonna see if i can hop back onto one of the cars here but (laughs) (laughs) no i mean feel feel free to go off if you want to talk a bit about night in the woods please Well, the one thing I will say about it then, too, is especially because I played them back to back, I think I played Night in the Woods first, and that's from the perspective of somebody who 
dropped out of college. And so I've got one game that I've just finished where it's about somebody who is going through something similar to what I was at the time. Because I think that was, I played it two years-ish, maybe two or three years after dropping out. And then going back and playing oxen free afterwards where where they're celebrating this big event i didn't get to and again there was that kind of sense of oh gee did i lose something along the way but that's that's not where the story stays and i think that helped me process a little bit is this concept of that's the framing at the beginning they are high school graduates and then they talk about you get to the end of the game and they talk about where they go afterwards and like one character goes off to or one or two characters go off to university anyways but it's that's not who they are at the end of the game it their education or lack thereof doesn't shape them and that was something that resonated with me specifically even if it wasn't the theme of the game per se yeah and i i can't imagine that that's a unique perspective either yeah more and more people are are not finishing high school and that's where i go hey, you should probably finish high school, even if it kind of sucks, but... Yeah, and if, even if it doesn't turn out to be relevant, it's like, yeah, you still want that like tick at the end to at least look back on and I, I've done something. Exactly, you've checked a box. Yeah, um, I encountered a, a TikTok video actually the the other day where it's uh, someone walking around just a snowy field in the woods, and it's like it doesn't matter what you're doing as much as where you're doing it and who you're doing it with. And I'm like, cool. I don't have any of those. Thanks. Now I feel three times as bad. <laughs> well, I mean, it's something I've appreciated again about the baseball community too is it especially coming during you know a global pandemic it gave a person a sense of community in a very strong way and even even above and beyond like the community pan or not the community uh, the global pandemic like it's it's a very queer space like i am <laughs> I'm a trans-masculine, non-binary, gay person. And it's, that's a lot of kind of descriptors, especially when you're someone like me who comes from rural BC, or that's not really welcomed as much as it is somewhere like, like baseball. So, you know, you're, you're finding this community and that's very beautiful. Yeah, I had a, a similar feeling where it's just like, yeah, I feel comfortable enough actually mentioning this stuff here, which is very different from anywhere else I would be thinking of mentioning it. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's a very open community, and, and especially the other thing, too, is being being plural. That was not something I felt I had the space to think about, let alone come out as, for for many, many years, so... Well, at least now everyone's all here and it's all good, mostly. <laughs> everyone's here. It's the Smash meme. <laughs> Except what? still no Waluigi. Yeah, no Waluigi, surprisingly enough. <laughs> God. <laughs> now I'm just imagining it. It's just like, well, that would be very weird, but okay. 
Jeez. Uh, question nine. A lot of these types of interviews rely on the question of what would you bring with you to a desert island in order to get to know a person? But that's not this show. What we ask instead is to picture the following scenario. You're on a deserted island with no hope of rescue, but food, water, shelter, and everything like that has been taken care of so that you won't succumb before your natural time. You've also been provided a single piece of media and the means with which to engage. And for you, it is oxen free. How frequently do you utilize it? And how long would it take for you to be sick of it? So you have to think about that one. Cause I, as it stands now, probably play through oxen free about twice a year. Um, I could probably eke out another, I would honestly give it between my love for the game and also my rather poor memory. <laughs> I still come across things in the game where I'm like, I don't remember that and I've played it six times. Um, I could probably eke out a decade or so on that. Yeah, and this is in between getting the island buff that everyone seems to also remember eventually that that's an option. And I can make sandcastles in my free time, which is always good. Yeah. And that is all the questions that I had. So thank you for indulging me. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. It's good to get an opportunity to ramble at length about about Oxenfree. I don't get to do that enough. So hopefully that's given people a little bit of a deeper insight into your perspective. Hopefully so. Uh, now, before I ruin the show by by just talking for myself, it's time for everyone's favourite part, a word from the sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. Truly a bright light in these dark times. Now, I have a follow-up review from last episode's enemy of the show and self-proclaimed former Swamp Edge dweller, Mara, and her recommendation of Beowulf. Is this something that you're familiar with? Um, as a... Like as a like the the literary media, I'm assuming is what's being referenced. And yep. All right. In that case, vaguely, I should know more given my profession. But it's flown so far <laughs> under my radar. The one thing I do remember is I had a book on dragons as a kid because that's what I fixated on. And there was a dragon from Beowulf, and I remember that. But unfortunately, that's about it. Oh, fair enough. I mean, I didn't even know it before doing the episode, so you you were one up on me already. <laughs> um, so this is specifically the translation from uh, Maria Devana Headley, which is one of the more recent ones I've been told. Yeah, that's that's true. That I do know. Yeah, I've yeah. sold a lot of those. <laughs> So, yeah, I can definitely see it's been adapted to be more palatable rather than the very dry and dusty ye olde Shakespearean. Uh, yes, it tells an interesting story, but all throughout I was very aware that I was reading, quote, a, like a text in air commas. Like, I wasn't reading a story. I was... Uh, in the mindset of I'm doing this for school just because of the, the tone of it. Um, 
I still I still think if you're looking to give it a try, this is the way to go with it. This this version rather than any of the others because I did compare them and oh boy, that's dry. <laughs> but I think uh, if I were being optimistic, I would give it a two out of five. It didn't quite land for me the the way I think it was expected to. But I mean, it was it didn't bomb, so that's something. It's where my bookseller voice comes in too a little bit. And I I do really highly recommend for people who do want to get into the classics that feel very dry, see if there's a graphic novel adaptation because there are so, so many now and so many of them are really well done and it's way, way more accessible sometimes than even even a heavily modernized translation. I, I really encourage people to look into kind of graphic classics. I think they're a really, really good window into that period of writing without actually having to necessarily read the writing and and like we said last episode uh support public libraries go to your local library and see if they have uh, such a such an edition and if they don't you're allowed to ask for it now before we wrap up this the final ever episode of check this out for this recording session and the 11th time I've made that joke, uh, could you tell the audience where they might find you online and if you have anything to advertise? Yes, I can be found on Twitter at Angry Bookseller. I promise I'm not that angry. I made the <laughs> I made the account when I was, not so much anymore. Um, I talk mostly about baseball and Final Fantasy XIV, so if that tickles your fancy, that's where to find me. The other thing I will hype up is I am doing a 24-hour, maybe 25, depending on whether we hit our donation goals. We'll see. Stream for or 24-hour, 25-hour stream for Extra Life on November 6th. That is a Saturday. And again, I'm going to be playing Final Fantasy XIV for the duration, doing some fundraising for the British Columbia Children's Hospital. And that will be live at twitch.tv slash flock of pigeons. And that's underscored between the words there. So flock underscore of underscore pigeons. And updates on that can be found on Twitter as well. Cool. I'll, I'll put that all in the show notes and we'll get some tweeting out there for you. Ah, oh, bless your heart. And on that note, I've been Al. And I've been Flock. And this has been Check This Out, a podcast of media positivity. And remember, a glass house is worth two in the bush. God. <laughs>